0: Good morning. Good morning. How are we doing? I think great. I can't great. Hey, we're going to talk about judges, because uh, that's what we've been doing. Go ahead and get out your Bibles. We're going to be covering the story of Samson. Samson. When we walk into Samson's story, we are going to blitz through it. I mean, 14, 15, 16, three chapters, most information about a judge, worst judge in the book, so much here. It's a ridiculous story. Uh, we're going to go through it here in a minute. When you think of Samson, there's probably one thing you think about, right? There's a there's a thing. I could walk to anyone on the street. Hey, tell me about Samson, what are they gonna say? Hair. hair? Raise your hand if you just said hair. I did not expect that. I need to count that. Was that like six of you? Wow. Aside from the six of you who remember his hair, what's the main thing about sorry, I gotta take a minute. That really took me back. Samson's strong. Okay? Maybe you missed that part of the story. He, it may be, maybe his hair was the source. It gets tricky. It's confusing, right? So we're going to have a couple people help us tell this story. One of them is Keith. Keith, will you come up here? If you haven't noticed, Keith can be kind of uh, exciting. And so I've asked him to come up here because I trust him off the cuff. We'll see how long that lasts. Um, this is your microphone. Uh, use it with caution. We're going to move this because I'm going I'm to kind of narrate. We also, uh, we need a Samson character to help us tell the story. Ooh, that's where those are. So, if you're new, I move around a lot. Sorry for your neck spasms. I get excited. Um, Jacob. Jacob, everybody. Give him a clap. He loves attention. Jacob and my wife might be the most extreme introverts in the room, so it's helpful to get them on stage. So, Samson, huh? And a nice flannel, tucked it in. I can't hack, but you know, whatever. Looks good. High five. You are you are Samson. This is you. Uh, we're gonna narrate, and then uh, you'll have a stunt man here in a minute, cause I don't want to hurt you. Uh, very strong guy, but I didn't ask him beforehand some things. So Keith, let's let's start talking here. I've got notes, and I'm gonna file it, but. Keith, we're going to start talking about Samson. The first thing that we know about Samson is something about a woman, a bride. So Samson, tell us something about Samson. He starts off with what? He wants to marry? Oh, he sees a girl in Timnath, I believe
1: it is. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. And she, She's, uh, uh, he's always looking for the girls. Always looking for girls. Show me does... you're always looking for a girl face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Sorry. Car- he doesn't. He doesn't have the hair for it. So, yeah. Look at those locks. He's ready. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, girls,
0: right? Girls, Samson, girls, girls, girls. He goes to his
1: his dad, and says, "Get it for me," and and, and she's and, a what? She's a Philistine. Philistine. He's, he, and the Lord's working in all this, and we're like, Philistine. "I'm not seeing how the Lord's working in all this," because He's mixing. God is allowing mixtures going on here. Yeah. But He's called Samson to something, and and Samson doesn't know it because he's just. Looking for the girls. Yeah, and uh, I've got a he, verse here to cover that. Yeah, well. So
0: let's look, 14.3, uh, it says, so Samson's yeah. like, hey, i gotta, I got to marry this girl. She's right in my eyes. And his father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all your people that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father and mother, get her for me, for she is... Right in my eyes, eyes, right? Yeah. So, okay, carry on. Oh, yeah, he, he wants the
1: girl. And God's, God's in this. And uh, more about that
0: later. So Phil signed bride. And then um, what happens? He, so uh, this is important. Samson, we talked to last, uh, last week, uh, uh, number 16. He's under what kind of thing? A Nazarite. Nazarite, right. And can you give us a few things about Nazarites? Nazirite? Nazarites were not supposed to
1: drink booze. Stay away from that stuff. They were consecrated booze. to the Lord. No. Uh, you could be a Nazirite for your entire life. You could be a Nazirite for part of your life. There are all sorts of rules to it. Right. It's back in uh, Leviticus, I believe. and uh, Say hair, but, right? Don't cut your but, hair. But, uh, well, yes, during that time, hair is part of that. Uh, you're not supposed to cut your hair, and you're not supposed to touch dead things. Don't, Yeah, unclean and, things. Don't uh, touch them. That's important. And, uh, Uh, through
0: Samson's life, he's going to break all of those things. Right, okay, so let's get to that. So the first thing he encounters, here's we enter the story of Samson, Judges 14. Open your Bibles if you want, Judges 14. So he wants to marry a Philistine person. God specifically said early in Judges, no, no. Don't, don't intermarry, right? And there's this weird phrase about how the Lord's in this. And we can talk about this. We can talk all day long about how God's working through sin and difficult things. Uh, but We're going to move past that and talk about some other things. But then he comes across a, a creature, right? What does he come across? A dead lion. He come, well, it's not dead oh, at 1st sorry. He, he makes it dead. Yeah, he comes across <laughs> a lion, right? That's yeah, you. Show yeah. me where I'm going to fight a lion face. That's right. Ra, that's it. Okay, hold this. Okay. Tell, me, tell me the obvious. Say, that's not a lion. It's not a lion, right? But it's a big cat. It's what my kids had. Okay, get off. Okay, now side note. This is important for all of you. How heavy are lions? Yeah. Anyone got a range? About two hundred and Google it. Yeah. Back me up on it. It's about two hundred and forty pounds to five hundred and twenty pounds, yeah. right? Okay. You need a stuntman, Joe, my man Joe. You you got to make haste, brother. Joe's coming. While he's coming, this is what we call plop. Ugh. It's a hundred pound sandbag. Oh, wow. My wife and I created. Imagine three to five of these, right? I'm going to read the story. Say hi to your stuntman. Hey, Jeff. Hey. So oh, hold on one sec. Heavy. Judges 14, six, the spirit of the Lord rushed yep. upon Samson. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pe- He tore the lion. He don't, he didn't just kill it. He t- say tore it into pieces, he tore it. Into Think pieces. of things you tear into pieces. A lot of children in the room. We hand them a piece of paper, tear it into pieces, tearing a line. So he tore it into pieces as one tears a young goat. So hundred pounds. Imagine five of these. Can you pick that up? Yeah, that's heavy. Yeah. Uh, over your shoulder. Yes. All right. One more time. <laughs> oh, okay. You're welcome. <laughs> don't drop it on the cords they'll get in trouble good perfect all right you can go sit down thank you set man yeah so yeah this is a kind of five man he just and he's ripping it up right try Blood don't rip guys. that up i'll get my kids very upset i love the commentary as one tears a young goat raise your hand if you've ever torn apart a young goat None of us. But if, uh, in this story, it's assumed how hey, you're just tearing apart goats. No big deal. So Samson, he tears apart this lion. That was really important to me that you guys understood how much a lion weighs. So if you don't get anything else out of today, please don't remember that. There's more important things to remember. Well, he was on his way to see the girl. That's right. And so, the lion was in the way. So. And he tears apart the lion, yep. right? And then later on, what happens with the lion? This well, is important. Well, then comes the seven day uh,
1: preparation, uh, preparation for the wedding, and. Uh, So he's bringing the family over to see the girl Mm -hmm. and everything, and the lion's been dead, and on the way there, uh, he sees that some bees have moved in, they make a a ton of honey in in the carcass, yeah, C-A-R-C-A-S-S, anyway,
0: and... carcass. Uh, there's honey.
1: honey. And so he, he leans over and I don't, he's not supposed to be around dead things. Right. He, he gets it out of there. He, he gets it out of there. He's not supposed to touch. He's breaking his Nazarite valve. So that's important. So he's yeah, already broke the Nazarite valve. Okay. And
0: where did this take place? It was at a, it was near a well, it vineyard. Was be- yeah, it, it, it was in between where he lived and where she yeah, lived. Which is yeah. interesting. Why would the author specifically mention a vineyard? It's a Nazarite vow. I think it's interesting. Now, we can't assume here that that means he was going to the vineyard to get uh, get drunk. But later on, he throws a party. And the actual Hebrew word for the feast, the Hebrew word for the feast he throws, implies drinking. They were certainly drinking. It does not say Samson was drinking, right? But it can be assumed based off the author's trajectory. Samson was possibly doing this. He didn't give a hoot about his Nazarite vow. Specifically, what's interesting is when it says he got the honey, it says he didn't tell his parents, right? Why didn't he tell his parents? Because his parents care about the Nazarite vow. So he's like, hey, I'm going to do this bad thing, but I'm not going to tell mom and dad, right? Because they don't even want me marrying this girl. They certainly don't want me to break the Nazarite vow. So I've got these flowing locks that show that I'm a Nazarite, but no one knows what I do in secret, right? I eat honey from lions. I party with my buddies right this is him so next well if you're going for the girls
1: you know how to break the
0: rules we all we guys know how to do that so then he has this riddle thing at this party right oh yeah right so um there are 30 guests there 30 male guests mm-hmm.
1: philistines and so he's going to make some money off of this thing because Sorry, he's, you have to be uh, i guess the philistines anyway but he is actually just having fun and so he poses this poem and and he well i forget exactly what it was the riddle was but i know it involved um the point what, was the line. lion, lion he poses a very hard riddle. And how do they get the riddle? Oh, they go to the fiance. Yeah. And they say, if you don't tell us what you're doing, because you you did all this to embarrass us in front of everyone, we're going to get you and your whole family. And she's like, ah! And so she... Shows her true colors. Yeah, she shows her true colors. She goes to uh, uh, her fiancé and says really loving words like, you only hate me. Yeah,
0: She's very dramatic. There's there's a lot of marriage stuff in here. We don't have time for it. But Uh, anyway, so then he gets it from her, uh, and then they go and tell him the riddle. So he has to give up all this stuff he promised. Samson has to give this up. And then he responds to them, 14, 18 through 20. If you had not plowed my heifer, very interesting thing to call your, uh, your bride to be. Please don't do that ever. If you had not plowed my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoils and gave their garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, show me your hot anger face. Close enough, yeah. Hot anger, he went back to his father's house and Samson's wife was given to his companion. Show me my wife's been given away to someone else's face. Yeah, man. (laughs) I am loving this. This is so good to me. Uh, me too. Uh, so that would be his best man. So given away. So after this then, he goes to see his father-in-law. And the father oh, yeah. says, "You can't." You and can't he takes see a her. goat with him because we're going I'm gonna get my wife
1: now. Every, things have cooled down. Things have not cooled down. He found out. Uh, she, the dad has given his fiance to somebody else. Samson's fiance to someone else. Samson says, "Now what I do, I'm right to do. I'm gonna hurt all you Philistines, and I'm
0: gonna be right to do Can it." Can you tell me what that is? It's a fox. Yeah. Can you say it like you're proud?
1: It is a fox. Thank
0: you. Okay. Can you tell me what it says. What? He gets three hundred of those. He asked me what it said, if you didn't hear them. Who can tell me what the fox says? Huh? Huh? That's I'm very happy with all of you. Thank you for trying. Right? Okay. Do you know what the fox says for real? It's an obnoxious noise. Yeah. Kids, can you make the noise? Fox says for real? That close enough. There it is. Yeah, they kind of scream. So carry on. He grabs these foxes. Especially when their tails are on fire, because yeah. he paired them up, puts torches. How many them. of them? 300 of 300 them. 300 foxes this dude caught. And then he ties torches to their tails. Again, just imagine... How, how well is the story going? Terrible. This is God's chosen bro. Ter- okay, keep that in mind. This is a wild story, right? Can you tell how wild it is? Do you feel wild? Oh, really wild. God feels so wild for you.
1: Sends them into their uh, uh, crops Burns them all up. The Philistines are like, who did this thing? Samson did this thing. Oh, we're coming uh, for Samson's former fiance, and they burn anyway. It's, it's bad. And then after it's this, a bad thing that happens. Three thousand uh, his own people. Oh, right? and then he gets angry, and so he picks up. Um, he's just by himself, and they're, they're like, "We're coming for you, Samson." So he just swings this jawbone donkey, kills a thousand of them right yeah. there,
0: and he's run out of. We breath. don't have any donkey jawbones in the house. I'm sorry, I tried, so you don't get I the whole. I mean, one, he, he's
1: just exhausted, and. Uh, there's a thousand dead Philistines around him. He calls the place a subdivision name called Jawbone Height. And uh, and then
0: 3,000 of men from Judah, right? They come to buy Well, well that, come, that comes later. But first, it's the first time he oh. calls on the name of the Lord. Okay, that's right. Sorry. He you, got thirsty. You go to it.
1: Our, our spiritual giant here gets thirsty. I'm so parched. he prays that's the Lord line. for water. Thank you yeah thirsty. and the, and the lord miraculously gives him water like right out of the ground out of a, a rock right there and uh, and so then the uh, philistines like now we're really going to get rid of this guy so this he army philistine army him. comes after him he's uh, samson's back in judah and uh, now remember you've been called to the lord to start fighting against philistine cuz the rest of israel all of them were a bunch of Whoa! Can you give us one of these? I'm just for the moment? Total. No. no okay. I knew that was specifically going to happen.
0: And so what at least these? at
1: least you're fighting the Philistines, but they're coming for you now, and they come into Judah. You're hiding on a rock. The locals know it. The Philistines go to the locals. They say, "Where is he? He's over there." And and uh, Samson says, "Lord, uh, uh, uh,
0: well." It, they no, say, no, "Are you going right? to kill me?" Right? And, and they it. say, "No. Just we're going to bind you and hand you over." So these are his own people. This is God's chosen bro. And then his own people are like, "We're going to bind you and take you to them." And then Samson, he what? Rips through the vines, just wreaks havoc, kills kills a whole bunch of people. So it says uh, judges were in fifteen now, fourteen through fifteen Yeah, more girls when he came to Leah, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the spirit, the spirit of Lord. the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms guess he got to break the ropes like flax Take a you're, you're really it's done nice. with you 're really done with the fox just, that was my bad I mess up just, so he rips them uh, they become like flax that is caught on fire, and his bonds melt from his hands. He found a fresh job on of a donkey, put it in his hands, struck down a thousand men let 's fast forward now. He ends up uh, the next part of the. Story, He ends up finding a prostitute. He's hanging around. He's just a woman. i a bad guy, right? Girls, girls, girls. That's his thing, right? I I won't write that on the board. Uh, And then, so now we've got what? Samson and who? What's the big girl's name? Everyone knows this girl. Delilah, right? So we're going to write Delilah. Tell us about who
1: is. Who is D E L I L A H. Cool. And uh, Delilah. And, Delilah. And, and she must have been very sweet and all like that until you find out. Did away. he She's marry her? With... He does not. He does not, he, no. After she that first thing with marriage, she never gets around to marriage again. It's kind of interesting. And... and some people pay her, right? Well, when they find out what it was, uh, the five lords, uh, ph- Philistia was not a monarchy. They, they don't had pay five you, they rulers. Pay her. And the, each of those five rulers came to her and they say, We will each one of us, five of us, each one of us give you 1,100 shekels of silver. What's the math on that? Well, I don't know, but I, I imagine... 5,500 shekels. Uh, my guess is with 5,500 shekels, it'd be equivalent to like a uh, fairly cheap house, but b- b- pretty yeah. nice. A
0: pretty nice sum Delilah, of money. Delilah, she's now paid. Yeah, right? is the girl, this it's the girl worth, move. It's, it's worth her, wow. right? That's her. Yeah. She's paid. You get it. Get money, you pay. So
1: sweet, Delilah. Uh, uh, you're, you're coming to her all, all the time now. Everybody knows it. and And she says,
0: oh... You know what she's going to say.
1: How are you so strong?
0: So she does this uh, three times, right? Do you remember? Oh, he yeah. says, there's three ways he says it. First, seven bow strings. Well, they're all lies. Yeah, that doesn't work. And then he <laughs> yeah. says, well, you need new ropes. Yeah. Now, nah, if you just weave my hair in a special way, none of that works. Yeah, and so eventually. Up, his hair
1: winds up in a loom. And and this guy still keeps going to this woman because she, she's doing literally everything she Eventually can we get his hair, right? That he says right? to kill him. Yeah. He says,
0: he says it's my hair. Now, here's, here's an interesting question. Yeah. Uh, this is just for you, Keith. Yeah. Uh, show us your hair. Okay, good. Thank you. Why, why do you think Samson told Delilah? I mean, he lied to her all this time. Why do you think he finally gets to a point? Here, we'll, we'll read it. So uh, he tells her, and then, uh, no, we'll read that in a sec. Sorry. Uh, well, well the, bi- the Bible
1: tells us that she vexed his heart to death by her just pushing,
0: pushing. Hey, pushing vexed. Him. I mean, guys. Has your heart I mean, ever been vexed to death? By a woman, no I'm just kidding. But that's right, it's rough. Vexed. Oh yeah, she meant to vex him. It she was
1: vexed. all intentional. Ruh. Vexed, vexed to death. My guess is, is he's a guy just like all the rest of us guys so don't think any of us are any better than Samson. But his eyes were on the pretty girl. Yeah. And he knew he had to have known that this woman was going to hurt him, uh, but he didn't care because she's
0: <laughs> she's pretty. And, and it reaches it, a point to where this just Nazir- this Nazarite vow are the underpinnings of the story. Like at some point, Samson stops caring about this. At some point, if the spirit of God—we've mentioned—I emphasize it every time—and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, if the spirit of the Lord rushes upon him to wreck some fools over and over and over, although he touches the carcass, although he potentially gets drunk in parties, he keeps breaking this covenant at some point samson says i'm above obedience to god i'm above i can do whatever i want this covenant doesn't mean anything and so he says he's going to go out and here's what happens 16 4 through 6 after uh this the after this he loved a woman thou sure her name was delilah lords of Philistines. we already read that sorry i'm ahead of that Oh, it's really hard to turn a page. 16, 19 through 22. She made him sleep on her knees and she called a man and had him shave off his seven locks from his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, "The Philistines are upon you, Samson. This happened several times, right? And he woke up and it wasn't a big deal. So when he woke from his sleep, he said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him there's a lot of implications here like why did the lord leave him this time what happened i argue there's something different in his heart he's continuing to go down and something's different time surely it wasn't just his hair because he broke the covenant over and over and over but anyway so uh but he did not know the lord had left him and the Philistines seized him and they gouged out his eyes gouged out his eyes more on that later and that show me show me blind right eyes are gouged out thank you scream it's painful ah no okay that's fine Uh, (laughs) um And brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles and he ground in the mill in the prison. So now he's he's just a laborer. He's in prison. He's working being laughed at the whole time. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Here's a question, Mr. Keith. Sunday school teacher of the week, because you're up here, right? Uh, why, why did his hair grow? Why did they let his hair grow back? The, I mean, the Philistines, they knew this was a source of power. He's killed a ton of them. Do you have a thought on why? I don't have a good answer, but if I were in their shoes, they
1: were just dumb. They, they don't know. Yeah. Uh, they, they think uh, that they're better. I won. They don't know that God is merciful. They, they don't know God at all. Yeah. They're in darkness. We live in a world of people. Yeah, they're doing horrendous things. But they do, many of them, do not know. The Philistines did not know Ah. that uh, once, uh, you know, in their world, when your God you disappoint your God, you're done. It's one of the things that mystifies so many people uh, in other religions and my, all the lands of the world who don't know the Lord. They don't understand forgiveness. They don't understand you give your enemies a second chance. They don't understand love from God. They, they don't understand that. It's, the Philistines didn't understand that. So they just thought, I won, it's over,
0: yay. And it's, it's interesting it's that gone. in children's story stuff, the emphasis is that what? His hair grows back. Some of you are like Samson hair, that's it, right? Is there a specific place in scripture where we know because his hair grows back, then, therefore, he now has strength. Interesting that that's not actually a perfect connection oh, right. in Scripture. Now, I wonder why. Here's why. So why is hair even mentioned? Why are these subtle implications of him breaking this vow, but then now he's blind and his hair is growing back? And then how's the story end? We're going to read it. 16, 28 through 31. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O oh Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. Who's he emphasizing here? Himself. Samson. Samson is the emphasis here. Oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Why does he want to be avenged? Because they gouged out his eyes, right? Okay. And Samson grasped the two pillars. Hold on. There's only one, but you know, what do you do? You got to grasp it. That's what it says. Samson grasped the two pillars. And he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one, his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength and the house fell upon the Lord and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed in his death was more than he killed in his life. It goes on to say that Israel had relief for 20 years, right? That he judges for 20 years. Shortest judge. Samson dies. He is a terrible guy, right? In fact, let's do this. Keith. If you had, hey, did you knock it over? Can you knock that over? It's really important to me. I want it to. That's what, it's all here. Feel bad. Yeah. You can sit down now. That's enough. You, you did it. That was your final thing. You, he's so happy. I have ruined a friendship for life. That's okay. So Keith, two minutes or less. What is your thought? On, you just taught kids this story. What is your thought that you would want us to know this morning in two minutes or less about Samson's story before I dig into it? Samson is
1: like us and he has a savior just like you have. Samson was mentioned in Hebrews among the Hall of Fame. Renewative. What did Samson do? Do not live your life like Samson, okay? Uh, but what did Samson do? He actually did begin what God told him to do, which was to begin to stand up against the Philistines in a nation full of cowards. At least he did that. He did almost nothing else right. And who did that through him? The Lord did that through him. And when it was all said and done, when when the Lord lit the match to Samson's life, almost everything burned up. But there was a few flakes of gold in it that God had done Mm. in him. And that gold will last forever and will be applauded and will be praised forever and ever, not because, I mean, Samson will be associated with it, but it's because what God did through him and that's what God will do through you if you muff things up, and you will. Uh, but if you walk with the Lord, if you when you get out of the way, when he flows through you, and he doesn't flow very much, and you say, let me get these rocks out of the way, these rocks that are turning me away from you so that more of him can flow through you. When he flows through you, he will do things through you. He will do things through you. He Will do things through you. You may not understand it, you may not know it, but it will stand forever because what he does is eternal and blessed Mm. and glorious. Thank you, Keith.
0: Uh, Both, yes. (laughs) Keith. Wolf. What a story, huh? Go back and read it this week, 14, 15, and 16. It is a nightmare. I mean, I've mean, just i been waiting in it and reading it, listening to people talk about it, and I decided I'm just going to list the facts of the story. And I started listing out, you know, like you do a uh, um, narrative analysis or what literature analysis, like uh, those of you who are in, raise your hand if you ever done a lit analysis in school, right? Yeah, I'm looking at you. You're doing it this year probably. So it's like school, right? You do literary analysis. And you start listing these stories, you're like, this is a nightmare, and I wanted this image. This is Samson's story. There's words I didn't write on here in case you take pictures and your kids read it at home. And there's words we don't want to put on here, right? But there's things that Samson are terrible. Is this, is this a story of, of a happy ending? You can say no out loud. It's okay. I won't make anyone else come on stage, I promise. No, it is not a happy ending. Is Samson a hero? No. Do you want your kids being like Samson? Do you want your political leaders to be like Samson? Samson is not someone we want to imitate. His life is a chaotic mess. His life is a picture of Israel. His life, it's, I'm not suggesting it's an allegory here at all. I'm saying these things happen, but his life, interesting enough, is a picture of all these things that are going on in Israel, this disobedience, these times that God still provides. All the time Samson does stuff, the Lord is there. The spirit of the Lord comes upon him. The spirit of the Lord comes upon him. In the end, the spirit of the Lord is not mentioned in the end of the story. Samson prays to God and God allows him to kill himself and then everyone else around him. I don't know what to make. I mean, honestly, like, I don't know. You you guys want to talk about like, oh, only good things happen to those who are like, man, it's tough. It's a weird story. And it needs to be, listen, this story needs to be chaotic and uncomfortable. This isn't the story that you read and say, oh, well, this means this and this means this. The point is that it's a mess because that's where we're at in Judges. Just like the crisis center, just on fire, going down the waterfall, being in the middle of nowhere, this is a mess and it keeps getting worse. When you read the story, please read it to your kids, maybe avoid some words, please read it to your spouse, read it to yourself this week and feel the tension and uncomfortableness of the story. This was God's man. That's what he he was chosen for. He's supposed to be a Nazarite. He didn't follow that ever. He didn't care. His parents did. He did not. And we don't get the story of Samson who is obedient and trusts God. We don't have that story. What would that story look like? I don't know. We don't have it. Fascinating to consider that that's not the point of the story. point of the story is chaos disorder. Samson is a tragedy. It's a story of confusion and chaos. So what do we, what are we to make of this story? There's a phrase over and over that I want to hit on that happens in Judges. We're going to put it on the screen. It says, and the children of Israel did what was evil in the... Of the Lord, right? This uh, I counted it up; it's somewhere between seven and twelve times, depending on depending on translations. But overall, this same word is used over and over that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And in the Bible, you see this word. Uh, it doesn't matter what Hebrew it is, it's escaping me right now. A hymn, maybe? It sounds kind of like you know, like a sneeze. <laughs> but anyway, a hymn, right? And the the word means sight of the Lord, and you see it all through the Old Testament. When the Lord is looking upon things in Psalms, they say, "Man, may your eyes be upon me. May I my eyes be." on you, Lord. There's this idea that this sight is that we have an overall motivation, a vision, a focus, and we're looking to the Lord. And when the Lord, whose sight is objectively, this is important, objectively right, objectively good, objectively... I use this language philosophically, it's important, right? Something is only good because God is objectively good. Something is only beautiful because God is objectively beautiful. Something's only ugly because God's objectively ugly. Something's only bad because God's objectively good. We can't make sense of the world apart from God's objectivity. And so when God looks on something and says, this is evil in my sight, God is the one who decides what is evil and what is good. And there's a tension in that because that's not what we want. And that Let that tension sit on you right now, because you don't like that, and you shouldn't, right? Because that's not a part of your story. Your story is, I'm going to decide what's right for me. That's not your culture. Your culture says, YOLO, do whatever you want. My my whole generation is like, man, relativism, we do what we want. Don't you define me. Don't tell me what to do. The generation before mine, you pick, uh, look at bands and music that written of the time, right? Everyone is about live my life, right? Rihanna, Kurt Cobain, the Beatles. It's my life. I do what I want. There's a big gap there between Rihanna and the Beatles, but you get it, right? Big tension. It's all about my life. But this says they did evil in the sight of the Lord. What is evil? Evil is what the Lord decides is evil. And specifically in the book, they define evil inside the Lord as forgetting God. We say it every week. Forgetting God and worshiping idols. Looking to things other than God. They forget him. They worship and hold things from God. Samson's eyes are mentioned four times in the story. I'm going to put them up here. Samson's eyes are mentioned four times. It's mentioned first in fourteen three. This is Samson. We hear his birth story. Adam preaching that last week. Then the next part of the story. He says, "She is right in my eyes." Israel does evil on the side of who? The Lord. And Samson decides she is right in my eyes. Biblically, is it okay that he marries a Philistine woman? No, that's specifically what God said not to do. But Samson comes along and says, she's right in my eyes. He tells his parents, or the story narrator tells us, 14, 7, she was right in Samson's eyes. We get to the end of Samson's story, right? Right? It's important in Hebrew literature. Themes at the beginning, themes at the end, they connect, right? That was a, like a dance, huh, <sighs> right? Okay, what just happened? Anyway, so 1628, that's not in my notes. You can do that dance at home for your kids, right? 1628. Oh Lord, please, or no, sorry, 1621. They gouged out his eyes. Now he's in darkness. That's important later. They gouged out his eyes. Oh Lord, please remember me. Please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. This story is about Samson's eyes, how he sees things, what he thinks is important, what he does. The Lord is mentioned in this story uh, almost as an afterthought, Everyone wants to know how Samson get his strength. And those who read the story, the author, we, we know it comes from the Lord. But everyone in the story, they think it comes from Samson. Samson's whole vision, it's all about him, all about his eyes. And then interestingly enough, uh, 17.6, it comes in at the beginning of the next chapter we're going into. In those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In his own eyes. So, the trajectory we're going. This Hebrew word for eyes, it's about the overall vision, the overall focus of one's life. Samson's eyes were on what? Samson. They're on himself, his goals, he des- what he desired, what he wanted. And they gouged out his eyes. And even in darkness, even in the end of his life, he calls out to God, not God, redeem me as you promised, redeem Israel as you promised. You said you'd take care of us, and we're lamenting God, and I screwed up. I'm sorry. That's not the prayer we get. Avenge me the, from the Philistines for my eyes. There's no focus on the Lord. No focus on the Lord for Samson. Yet, as Keith said, he's mentioned in Hebrews 11. More on that here in a minute. Samson points us to Israel as a whole, but also points to Star Story. Every week we get back to Genesis 3. Because I, I can't not. It all connects. Genesis 3, we're going to read it right now. Pay attention to the eye language. But the serpent said to the woman, as as you know, God created good things, right? He said they were good. He created us in his image, which means our image is a creation to create good things. That's what we were created for. The reason you don't like your life is because you're not creating good things that God defines objectively good. You're just sitting there criticizing things. Millennials, I'm looking at you. Like we just dump on us, me, right? We dump on things, we criticize things, we tear things down. We're not creating good things. We can't possibly create good things apart from the Lord. Because we're trying to do what's right in our own eyes. And so this is what happens. God creates all this stuff, and then he gives it to us. Generously gives it to us and says, hey, hey, live in this. Subdue the land. Take dominion over it. Be fruitful and multiply. But then the serpent comes. Evil enters the story. It says evil's crafty, Genesis 3, 4 through 7. But the serpent said to the woman, you won't surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes, referring to the fruit God said not to eat, your eyes will be opened. Everyone go like this. I'm looking at you. You're going to do it. It means awake in sign language, right? But it's open your eyes. Like, okay, I'm I'm awake now, right? Your eyes will be open and you will be like God. They were already like God. We were already created in God's image and we want more. You will be like God, knowing good from evil. You'll be able to decide good for evil. You'll be like God. You'll be able to decide good for evil. The woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise. Interesting connection between wisdom and your eyes being opened all through Scripture. Uh, And she took its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and they ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together, made themselves loincloths, Then later they go hide from God, right? We want our eyes opened. We want what we want. You know this. We talk about it. It's something we wrestle with. And it's worth... Man, I just read... Uh, a Facebook post of someone I know last night uh, about a hot topic culturally, and they were trying to make a vague stance on it based on this post, and then all these other people were commenting, arguing about it. Some people were quoting the Bible, and some people just quoting research, and I don't want to mention it because I don't want to open the can of worms here, but all of the cries of those comments, 70, 80 comments, was all about, well, this is what I think is right. This is relatively what I've decided. This is what feels good to me. Uh, here's what this one research showed. So at this point in history, we can look at things in this way. We live in a culture of relativism and individualism. And it's so important that you grasp that. Parents, it's so important that you grasp that. Because your kids, your spouse, your family, your cousins, your grandbabies, they're all just being fed this lie The truth is relative. It's whatever you think is right. And we all get it in cute ways, right? Are you a Ford or Dodge person? Anyone? No, you don't care. No one in this church cares, right? I'm Toyota for life. Toyota, raise your hand. That's you, right? Right. In some ways, we don't care, right? But then we start talking about gender equality. We start talking about LGBTQ issues. We start talking about um, the biblical roles of husbands and wives. Ah, now we have all this tension in general. What what does the Bible say? Ah, whatever works for you. Man, but Jesus had things to say about this. God's standards are objective. And maybe we don't fully understand them. That doesn't mean that we approach people with hate and anger and angst. This idea of our eyes being opened and us deciding what's good for us. That's all Samson wanted. That's so all we want. It leads to darkness. Samson's eyes were gouged out. Jesus has several things to say about this. We went through the Sermon on the Mount for a little while. Uh, I can throw some things on the screen as a shotgun here real quick, but uh, Jesus talks about uh, Matthew 5, 29, that if your right eye causes you to sin, you gouge it out. Again, it's this, this idea of your eyes are your vision. If this if your vision is for sin, it's for this particular thing, stop it. Get rid of it, right? You don't need that because it's better to be mutilated than to be constantly giving in to sin. We talked about that. If you want to go back and watch it, we talked about specifically what Jesus is talking about there. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, the law of retaliation, tit for tat, right? He's quoting uh, these old standards that the Hebrews lived by. And he's saying, no, I'm saying, turn the other cheek, walk a second mile, give your cloak and your tunic, right? Jesus has this very generous way of approaching retaliation. He's talking about an eye for an eye. It's overall vision. If you take what I think is important, I'm going to take what you think is important. Later on, he says, uh, why do you look at the uh, the log in your, or the speck in your brother's eye, when you've got a log in your own eye, vision being extrapped. You guys remember we had the log log face, right? Jesus has some things to say about eyes. Matthew 6, he says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. Talking about, think about vision, focus. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light of you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Samson died seeing darkness. Israel keeps seeing more and more darkness. Samson's focused on what his eyes say is good. Israel's focused on what we say is good. We don't need to follow you. We can follow these idols. We can mix things. We've been talking about that every week. And it ultimately leads to darkness. They forget God. They worship idols. Idols. They decide what they think is right, just like Adam and Eve. So how do you apply a story like Samson? And we can do all the cute things up here with the pillars. And wow, that's twice as heavy as it looks. Uh, we, can get all, we can make a mess up here. We can bring introverts up here and make them really uncomfortable. But how, how do you apply something like this? Because it's chaotic. It's a nightmare. And we can all say, yeah, you're right, man. We need to, we need to get our vision checked. We need to have a good focus. That's even a secular commentary, right? You got to want it. Got to set your vision right. Set your mind right. What are we supposed to do here? Samson's listed in Hebrews 11 with a variety of ruffians, schmucks, terrible guys. He's listed with a whole bunch of people that do. There's some people that maybe do some okay things. But like we talked about a few weeks ago, the story of the Bible is that everyone's messing up. Because the story is ultimately about the Lord, not about you. And so what do we make of this? Instead of talking about why all these people are included, Keith hit on that, right? Because they had times where they did look to the Lord. And that was enough. That was enough for the Lord to say, this faith is what matters. Looking to me is what matters. But I think Hebrews 12 is where we want to land to think about this. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, as he kind of interprets these things in Hebrews 11, the author says, therefore, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin in which cling so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder of And perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God, uh, the right hand of the throne of God. Why do we look to Jesus? Because he's the founder and perfecter. This is chaos. Your life is chaos apart from Christ. And evil might give you moments of slaying a thousand people with a donkey's jawbone, that was a metaphor. None of you have literally done that. Evil might give you times. Your flesh might give you times of success. But ultimately, when you look at the aggregate of your life, you see, man, these things just don't connect. What am I doing? What's my purpose? Why am I here? What, why do these? Jesus says, no, no, no. I am the founder and perfecter of your faith. We look to Jesus because he's the founder. Some translations say the author and perfector. That's the one I have memorized, but the founder and perfecter. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All of us have rebelled and separated from the Lord. Maybe you're in that chaos right now. I pray if you're not, that if you don't know Jesus, that God allows you to see the chaos in your life. And that you recognize, man, these things are, are really messing me up. I need something beyond myself. Samson was supposed to begin to save Israel. Did he ultimately save Israel? He couldn't even save himself. And some of you read his story and maybe you relate to it. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's booze. Maybe it's just uh, loose living, whatever it is. Or maybe you're just like, wow, I thought Samson was a great guy. And it turns out that he's pretty bad. And I feel like maybe I'm pretty bad too. Or maybe you think you're better than Samson. You find out, turns out all of us are separated from the Lord. We're only made righteous towards Jesus. And Hebrews tells us we're to look to Jesus. So how do we look to Jesus? I want to land on just a, a couple things here before we close. There's a few, few ways you can look. And, and these might be cheesy, whatever. But uh, I want to talk about what we glance at, what we look at, what we focus and stare on. What are your eyes on here? What do you glance at? What are the things in your life that you just casually see? You don't even think about how they infa- impact you. Dallas Willard would say everything is formative. Nothing in your life is passive and meaningless. Everything is formative. The shows you watch, the food you eat, the ways you approach activity, the subtle, uh, the subtle manipulative things you say to your spouse or your kids, the little bouts of anger that are probably a pattern in your life that you don't realize. Everything is forming you in somewhere. Else. I tell my kids all the time, you're either being formed towards Christ or away from Christ. Those are the options. His spirit enters us and they form us. So what are you doing? What are the things you glance at? Think about every day. What are the things you do every day that you probably forget about? What about the things you actually look at? You're intentionally like, man, I'm I'm focused. I'm looking at this. Uh, I see it. My uh, people I work with My family, I'm looking at those things. And then maybe even deeper, think about the things you stare at. I was going to have us write these things down. You guys, we're all smart here. We can think through these things. What are things that you stare at and focus on? You say, man, this is my vision. This is my big focus. And is that even relative to the thing or related to the things that you look at and the things that you glance at? Where are your eyes, church? Because this is telling us to look to Jesus. And when we see someone whose eyes aren't on the Lord, look at this. This is a mess. Is this what your life looks like? Because Jesus is the founder and perfecter. And Samson's life doesn't look founded or perfected at all. Maybe your life doesn't look founded or perfected. This is why the Lord tells us to repent and believe in the gospel. Mark 1 15, Jesus came, and said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, believe in the gospel. The word repent means to change your mind. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to Repent. You've got to have your mind changed. And God loves you enough to say, your mind is wrong. Your vision is wrong. The things you look at are wrong. You need to look to me. I am the author and perfector, the founder and perfector of your faith. So how do, we, how do we do that? How do we practically repent? How do we practically look to God? Three things. We talk all the time about prayer, scripture, and church. And that's fine. You can roll your eyes. I get it. Ooh, big surprise. Someone preaching about prayer, scripture, and church. Uh... Please think about this. When are you praying? When are you standing? You need all three, by the way. If you just have one of these, you become arrogant and stupid. Let that sit in. Arrogant and stupid. You need all three. When are you praying? When do you sit before the Lord and say, God, I am beneath you. I want to worship you and I want to understand that you're above me and I want to have a relationship with you? When do you talk to the Lord? Are there things that you glance at, that you look at, that you stare and focus on that you don't pray about? When are you praying? When are you reading scripture? Is the last time you read scripture when we read it last Sunday? This isn't a guilt. I talk about my guilt gun. Guilt, 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 guilt. That's not the point. Don't sit in that. Forget that. Let the Lord form you. When are you reading scripture? How will you know the Lord? How will you know what his standards are? How can you even have a shot if you're not reading scripture? Lastly, when are you connecting with church? Look at someone across from you and say, you need me and I need you in Christ. Let's try that again. I move really fast. You're getting tired. I'm going to try it again. Look at someone across the room and say, you need me and I need you in Christ. Here's why that's important because it is easy. It involves this much commitment to come in here and to passively sit and listen to Passionate David just throw out some words. It involves a little bit more commitment to do some of these other things, but to actually live in the community and the unity that God's called us to, to actually say, I'm struggling with homosexuality. I'm struggling with how I even view what the Bible says about, about lust or sexuality. I don't even know what it means to be a spouse. I'm struggling with divorce. A friend of mine just passed away and I have no idea how to process that. How in the world can you come anywhere close to not having chaos and disorder in your life if you're not living in the community God's given you. You can't do it alone. Please don't buy my life. You're watching from home. You can't do this alone. The Spirit of God has entered you to be unified in His Spirit. All over, Paul emphasizes we're unified in the Spirit. When Jesus talked, He talked to a group of people. You will have the Spirit. Through me you will be my people. Think about how you connect with prayer, church, and Scripture. Otherwise, you don't have a shot at avoiding this chaos. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside the weight and sin which clings so closely to us. Some of you immediately are familiar with that weight, that sin that clings so closely. What is it? What is it that clings close to you and weighs you down? Let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated in the right hand, throne of God. Only Jesus can save you. Evil, the flesh, the world, they want us to focus on ourselves. What is right in our own eyes? Look to yourself and the world, and that leads to this. Chaos, confusion. Write your own chalkboard full of mess. What's going on in your life? friend died divorce drugs alcohol parenting whatever it is it's a mess but the lord when we look to jesus we see he is the author and perfecter the founder and the Perfector. we find unity we find order we find love we find purpose what we were created for how are you looking to jesus as the founder and perfecter of your faith we're uh We're going to move into a time here of responding through worship and then through the Lord's Supper. Uh, We celebrate the Lord's Supper. We talk about looking in certain directions. There'll be a screen, uh, a slide here in a minute that talks about different ways we look. But the reason we celebrate the Lord's Supper is because Jesus told us to, and it reminds us of the sacrifice that he's been making forever for his people and the ultimate sacrifice that Samson couldn't make, that Elisha couldn't make, that Moses couldn't make, that God himself made for us. That Jesus came down and said, I'm going to take on your sin, your punishment, your evil. And so when we, when we eat the cracker and drink the juice here, and we do all this stuff, the point is to remember Jesus. And so as, as we sing the song, uh, in the song we're eventually going to sing, Turn Your Eyes on Jesus. It's an old hymn, part of an old hymn. We're going to be declaring, hey, we want to look to Jesus. But I want you to take a moment as we're responding right now and ask yourself like, hey, how am I looking to Jesus through prayer? How am I looking to Jesus through scripture? How am I looking to Jesus through church? One of the ways you look to Jesus through church is to celebrate the Lord's Supper together right now. We all together look to the Lord. We acknowledge our need for each other. We acknowledge our need for a Savior. We acknowledge the hope that he's going to make all things right. We acknowledge the unity that we have in Christ all because Jesus came. He taught us how to live. He suffered and died. He rose again and is now seated to be able to say, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So as, as Nathan comes and he starts playing this song, um, I'd like for you to, uh, you can stand. Uh, if you need to join the church, if you need to be baptized, if you've never given your life to the Lord, this is your time. But also, if you want to participate in the Lord's Supper with us, right, you can come grab the elements. They're going to be right up here. The deacons are going to be uh, handing them out as you come. These aren't magic elements. They're not going to save you, right? This is just for us to remember together who Jesus is. Pray with me and then come get the elements. Father, I pray that you would guide us as we respond. It's so hard to think through the depth and to say all the right words and to to capture all the things you want us to to see in scripture so much. When we read about the sin that entangles us and the weight that's on us, God, we want to shed those things and look to Jesus. Jesus, the one who tells us that, that, that his yoke is easy, his burden's light. God, I pray that as we we celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we remember what Jesus has done right now, as we sing to turn our eyes on you, I pray that your spirit would move. If there's someone here that doesn't know you, that your spirit would give them boldness to give their life to you. Someone needs to be baptized, someone needs to join the church. God, beyond all the words, all the the eloquence we try to have and and digging into things. God, we, we need your spirit to guide us. We need your spirit to move. We need your wisdom. Lord, I pray that you would guide us as we respond in worship now. We respond to you. Amen.